0: Hello, Canada. Today's date is January 29th, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan.
1: And Lewis out here in
0: BC. How goes it, my friend?
1: Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I do I do. actually want to start off with just acknowledging that... Uh, Ex longtime mayor of Mississauga, Hurricane Hazel, has died. Oh uh, my gosh. Yeah, it was announced uh, this morning. Um, she was just shy of her 102nd birthday. Um, she was kind of a trailblazer in Canadian politics. Um, she lost her very first attempt at running for office and then never lost again. And she, went, she ran for office 17 times uh, without losing and uh, was mayor of Mississauga for 12 consecutive terms, um, which would have been 36 years. And uh, she retired in 2014, um, and uh, yeah, 2014 when she was, you know, 93 years old, and uh, or 92, I think, 92 or 93, 93, 93 years old when she retired from politics in uh, 2014. Um, she lived a good life.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, the, I know, yeah, uh, I heard anecdotally there were many elections that she ran unopposed because uh, people just, just really two. liked what she was doing. Is it two? Yeah, okay, just,
1: just two. Yeah, the other nine, or yeah, she she only had two where she was unopposed. Uh, she okay. ran again, she ran opposed every other time, so
0: okay, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, RIP Hazel McCallion, I mean, she uh, was the great mayor, she actually had money in the bank for the city of Mississauga. So uh, hopefully uh, there'll be more like her. Wow, no, that's uh, sad news So she'll be missed.
1: Yeah, she was famous for for
0: a quote. And uh, I read it this morning and
1: I thought, oh man, I remember when I heard that the first time and it was probably 20 years ago or so. And it was, uh, think like a man, no, work like a man, think like a woman and work like a dog. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well yeah. nothing wrong with that so.
1: <laughs> no no so she'll be missed
0: yeah for sure well that, that is sad news for not just for mississauga but for all of canada she is uh that's she's a tough act to follow so yeah all right canada well we've got another good one for you today on the show today half of us with no money corruption what what, what corruption we have a date. Vaccine reactions. What about that notwithstanding clause? And more. Where do you want to start, sir? Let's just start at the top. Yeah. Um, this latest figures actually just came to me, well, this morning, actually, because I was listening to the Roy Green Show in podcast form. And there was an Ipsos poll commissioned for global and said that 22% of Canadians are, quote, completely out of money after paying their bills. And then a further 32% are going to join that completely out of money group should the cost of living increase any further, which we know it's going to. So now not, is it, not only is it 54% of Canadians are close to not being able to pay their bills, it's pretty soon going to be 54% not paying their bills. How the hell is that happening in a G7 country? Well, I can tell you
1: how it's happening. We've got an exceptionally weak and incompetent leader leading a exceptionally weak and incompetent cabinet. <clears throat> and that is all comprised of people from a weak and incompetent liberal party and being propped up by a weak and in- in- incompetent NDP party. Um, I don't, I, I gotta tell you, I don't understand how anybody can possibly support this government any longer, but they have managed to, you know, divide and conquer. you got people fighting each other. They don't pay attention to things like being able to pay their bills. And, um, that's the problem we've got right now because people can't pay their bills and 22% are completely out of money after paying their bills and they got nothing left after that. Like, and I mean, and don't forget, there is a percentage of people that run out of money before they pay their bills. Um, so, I mean, the 22% that are out of money is after paying their bills. That's just, that's, that's not the worst of it. There's probably 22%, 20% or so that can't even pay all their bills right now. Um,
0: I would assume and, uh, they're probably in that uh, 22% that were pulled, but I don't, I don't know that figure. So, yeah, well, I mean, I'd
1: be surprised if it wasn't quite a bit higher than the 22%, because I mean, you know, it's, I'm feeling it in my household. I mean, my, uh, you know, we, we do all right, but it's like, we just, we're, we're noticing noticing that we're just not able to put money away at the end of the month and um it's uh it's getting harder and harder and and i mean we've we've just got the incompetence around governments in this country is just unbelievable i mean we just tend to lead we we just tend to elect the dumbest among us to lead us and um and i mean it's it, it it's never more apparent than when, for the last three years, Tony and I have been saying on this show that you know inflation and interest rates are going to be just skyrocketing because of all the money that they printed during COVID. And you know, as well as we know, that we were called conspiracy theorists and fear mongers for suggesting it. Um, yet it's exactly what's happened, and uh, and now and the 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 experts and I use air quotes when I say that the experts um, even today are trying to say that it's not because of the government spending over during COVID that it's because of greedy corporations. Well, no, no. When you print 40% of all the money that's ever been printed in two years, uh, it's because you just made the money you're printing worthless by printing so much of it. Um, That's how inflation works. That's the only way inflation works.
0: Yep. Well, that's absolutely right. And we've said on this show many times, uh, at least I have, I know I have, in a couple of rants, if nothing else, that the House of Commons is the place where 338 of the dumbest Canadians all gather to tell the rest of us how to live, and they've done nothing but prove that to us while taking big pay raises, while they're about to take a 6.5% pay raise come April 1st, and they're uh, they're completely clueless. And I'm looping the Conservatives in this group with the the ndp the block the couple of green mps because they are all taking that raise and they could very easily simply by an act of parliament put a freeze on that raise or even uh, cut their pay but none of the hogs at the trough are prepared to do that but you canada you have to cut back half of you have to wonder where your next meal is going to come from because you can barely afford to, to put food in your fridge. We've got parents who are skipping meals so that their kids can eat. And uh, I'm actually really fortunate that all of my kids are now at young adults and all but one have moved out on their own. So our household isn't struggling as much on that front as we are with helping kids out. But I mean, thankfully, the middle-aged folks like myself whose kids are grown and folks who are you know, in in the upper middle age who are, you know, coming to the end of their mortgages, we're okay. It's the young people with families, uh, people like yourself who still got kids at home. They're the Canadians that are hurting the most. And they're, I'm sure, probably the vast majority of this 54% that this government doesn't give a rat's rear end about. And it shows because they're continuing to pass more inflationary spending bills they continue to, to bring on more taxes continue to make life more expensive for canadians and well thankfully pierre pauliev is at least talking a good game about it on from a policy perspective max bernier at least has some good ideas from a policy perspective but neither of them are in power so the rest of the canadians get to sit and watch and listen to platitudes it's bs is what it is
1: yeah and and I mean, and the thing is, is that the person that is supposed to be doing something about this isn't doing anything about it. In fact, making it worse, right? Like you just said that they keep passing uh, money bills that are going to do nothing but exacerbate the problem. And um, but he does it with a smugness that just makes you want to drop kick him right in the face. And... <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. Uh, It allegedly (laughs) makes you want to uh, drop kick him right in the face. But no, I mean, he's, but, but it's true. I mean, there is a smugness that, that Trudeau has that it's like, it's incredibly maddening. It's a, it just makes you angry to watch him talk because he's so smug and condescending every time he talks. And, um, and this is this is the danger of electing a weak person to lead the country, and uh, and that's what we've done. We've elected the weakest leader in the history of Canada, and he turned out to also be the most corrupt. Allegedly, the most corrupt. Allegedly, yeah, the most corrupt well, leader in our in our history. And I mean, and and the thing is, is like. Those wonderful people at UBC, like uh, you know, the they they're the ones who keep releasing studies about how we need to uh, have a uh, uh, a wealth tax in Canada or or taxing the sale of our primary residence and stuff like that. They've released another study because they say that the top five percent of homeowners in Vancouver pay an average of like $12,000 in, in income tax every year. And that that's not fair. Well, have you looked at how much they pay in property tax? Cause I bet they pay at least that or maybe double in property tax, but they want to put a 1% tax on your home value as a income tax. For, for these people. And it's like, do you understand how wealth works? Like these people probably aren't making a wage, right? I mean, first of all, <laughs> right? They're probably not even making a wage. So, but it's just, instead of asking why they're not paying enough tax, or let, let me put the, the word enough in quotation marks, um, why don't we ask why we're all paying too much? You know why yeah. don't we ask why we're all paying too much instead of why aren't why are the super wealthy not paying enough? Because first of all, the super wealthy pay way more tax than any of us, no matter how many write-offs they have. They have they pay way more tax than any of the rest of us. Uh, it's like it's I think I believe it's like forty percent of all the tax in Canada is paid by uh, like the top five percent or something. It's it's crazy. Um, but we, uh, why are we asking, you know, why aren't they paying as much as the rest of us? Well, why don't we just ask why
0: we're all paying too much? Well, that's a, a great question. Jagmeet Singh would be a great person to ask that question for, too, I should say, because he's the one who always says, oh, these big corporations need to pay what they owe. Um, they do, and more, actually, and uh, so do the rest of us. So yeah, you're right, if we could lower some taxes, and that's something, Pierre Paul, have actually said in an interview with Roy Green on yesterday's show, is that we need to cut the carbon tax, we need to cut taxes to put more money in Canadians' pockets. And all I can say is, testify, brother, that's exactly what we need so that we can actually, you know, try to afford all the increasing prices everywhere. So. I'm yeah. all for it. Unfortunately, the coalition is not. Well, and I mean, I don't know that Jagmeet Singh
1: would be a great person to ask that question to because he wouldn't have an answer. Uh, it, would no. like, <laughs> it, it would be like, it would be like, you know, that classic cartoon where you know the robot starts starts glitching because it, it doesn't know what to do well that's that's that would be jagmeet saying you ask him that question and you'd see sparks coming out of his neck because he doesn't know what to do and his head twitching around and and he'd be freaking out and then and then smoke would just pour out of his ears and he would stop working
0: right <laughs> yes that's, that's probably true and uh well, hey, speaking of stop working um we got a bit of a corruption problem in government, which we've had, well, actually, since Justin Trudeau took over. I mean, we all know the SNC-Lavalin scandal. That's uh, pretty famous. We all know about the AgaCon vacation that, uh, that oh, when he when he came home pouting that, oh, I guess I'll just have to clear all my trips with the exits commissioner, to which I thought, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. And then our friends at McKinsey show up. And here's what I'm... I'm really having a problem with, with this government in particular, but I mean, uh, and it's not just the liberal government, conservative governments have done the exact same thing. And that is the sole sourcing of contracts. Now the, this liberal government has done this on steroids, but 66 million in sole source contracts to McKinsey alone in the last seven years, since they've been been in power for consulting. And it's been even over, hyped in the immigration department, because apparently McKinsey is the ones who are driving the bus on this accelerated number of immigrants to come into Canada. And I just think to myself, I mean, I don't know a lot about McKinsey, but I mean, from what I hear, it's, you know, I, I always hear the, the dark conspiratorial side of it, but you hire bureaucrats to set policies. Why the hell are we spending so much money on consultants to set policy?
1: Yeah, and and it's not just sixty six million. I mean, that's just what they got in sole sourced contracts. I believe like they actually received over a hundred million dollars in contracts with the with the liberals since two thousand and sixteen. Correct. It's uh, and prior to that, McKinsey was getting around two point two million a year, or or no. They've received 2.2 million over Harper's entire tenure, and um, and with Trudeau, they've they're well over 100 million so far. Um, so I mean, there's yeah, this is allegedly corruption at its finest. Um, I and I and I agree. I don't know why we rule by uh, consultants. I mean, I. I these people are obviously, um, you know, they have an agenda, and they're they're encouraging the government to uh, to implement this agenda. But I mean, they wouldn't be picking them if their agendas didn't line up. And uh, why they need to spend that much money to be told what they already want to do. Um, is is unbelievable to me i I just don't understand how this is even allowed um but when you're in government you're untouchable i mean they never when was the last time you heard of a politician a sitting politician that is charged with
0: corruption i'm not sure i've ever heard of that in this country i guess mike duffy but even well, Mike Duffy, was, yeah. that, was, that was over a cottage. It wasn't really, a, that was just yeah. a matter of his official residence. So.
1: And that's different, too, even, because that, he was not elected. Right. Uh, he was an appointed politician. And um that was, you know, I mean, when was the last time you saw an elected official in this country get charged with, with corruption charges or anything like that i mean i I, never and the thing is is that if if any of the stuff that trudeau has has been found guilty of already um or been accused of so far any of that would have someone in the private sector if they were running if they were running a, a, a corporation If these kinds of accusations were made, there would be police investigations, there would be charges brought. Um, But because he's the prime minister, none of that happens.
0: Are you suggesting that if you were CEO of a company and you gave a sole source contract to, let's just say, for example, Frank Bayless, former Liberal MP, who incorporated a company only six days prior to you giving him a sole source contract for, let's say ventilators for COVID and gave him $257 million to provide ventilators. And he provided zero ventilators. You think in the private sector, you, you would actually be called to account for that?
1: Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, especially if you are running a publicly traded company and the uh and the investors go uh wait a minute what the hell happened here where did all this money go and they report you to the uh to the uh um oh what is it the commission securities and exchange yeah, commission the securities That's- and exchange commissions right because they would immediately report you to them they would do their investigations and then recommend charges
0: yeah, but, but if you're Justin Trudeau, that's all right. And <laughs> what do we say on this show? But there, there's more. If you are Ahmed Hussin, for example, who is now the Minister of Housing, well, his constituency office as Minister of Housing recently gave $93,050 to Munch More Media, which is a, an ad firm promoting the restaurant industry, And much more media just happens to be run by, well, let's look up the name, Hiba Tariq, who just happens to be the sister of Tia Tariq. Tia Tariq just happens to be Ahmed Hussein's director of policy. So the the minister of housing is giving money to a a restaurant advocacy group that just happens to have a family connection. Whoops! Out of our scope and in our family. oops! Yep. No, just, it's, just,
1: it's just one thing after another.
0: It is, actually, because, well, Mary Ying, remember her last month? The small business minister giving a sole source contract of just under 17 grand to her close personal friend of 20 years, Amanda Alvaro of Pomp and Circumstance, who also happens to be a CBC contributor. <laughs> Whoops, I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. <laughs> My bad.
1: Yeah. No. It, and and this is one of those things where it just goes on and on and on. And I mean, and we've been bringing these up on the show for since our, since the show's inception, um, we've been making our listeners aware of these scandals and, and highly questionable uh, transactions, let's say.
0: <laughs> That's a, a good way to put it. And uh, we'll wrap the segment up by, by, uh, Just letting you know, Canada, where we've actually heard a lot of this stuff from, and it's Radio Canada, a division of the CBC. And I thought that would be actually the last news outlet I thought I would be be crediting for these kind of scandals and this kind of corruption. But you actually brought up an interesting point as to why it is we're hearing it from Radio Canada. Yeah. I mean, CBC usually, I mean, they did it when they
1: turned on on and they did it when they turned on um paul martin um the cbc turns on the liberals only after the public has turned on them so i think i think when you see the cbc turning on justin trudeau it's because they know that the public already has um, and I think they, they know something you know that the pollsters are are not showing. I mean they, I mean the pollsters are showing. I mean we saw last week on uh, on uh, CTV's question period with, uh, with Vashi Capellos oh, by the way, since Vashi Capelos took over question period, she is holding politicians feet to the fire when they are on that show a lot more than Evan Solomon ever did. Um, anyway uh yeah so i highly recommend recommend you watch it because she's doing an excellent job there uh she she had nick nanos on and we all know nick nanos is a uh dyed in the wool liberal pollster and his polling is showing the conservatives in near majority position right now so if he's showing that then you know the that the, the conservatives are as close as they're gonna get at this moment to having a majority because the conservatives usually cannot get more than about 40 percent of the vote no matter what um, and he's got them at you know around that 36 and a half to 37 percent range right now he's they're getting closer and closer to a majority uh, uh, position and he's showing the the Liberals down at 28 percent so um and his polling usually sh- is shows more favor towards the liberal numbers uh compared to other pollers like ipsos read ipsos read usually is pretty f- pretty accurate um but nick nanos is, is always just showing the conservatives a little bit lower than than they actually are and the liberals a little bit higher than they actually are so Uh, I think CBC has finally seen that, you know, Oh, the public doesn't care for this guy anymore. So we better start changing the way we report things. And that seems to be the way the CBC has always been as soon as, you know, it's after public sentiment has already turned that they decide to start changing the way that they cover things.
0: Well, I mean, good. That's, uh, I'm actually happy to hear that. So, um, Let's move on to, actually, let's talk about the notwithstanding clause now. Then uh, so we can wrap the show up talking about the healthcare meeting with uh, Trudeau and the premiers. Because uh, sure. there's polling out there and the notwithstanding clause is section 33 of our, our charter of rights and freedoms. Uh, the quick calls notes for Canadians who aren't as familiar with the notwithstanding clause is when there is a federal legislation that interferes with either provincial jurisdiction or comes into a more of a human rights issue provinces can opt out of the legislation notwithstanding legislation they opt out while they make legislation to protect their jurisdiction human rights etc and you've heard a lot about the notwithstanding clause lately because Francois Legault was using it well preemptively in a lot of legislation and Doug Ford decided to do the exact same thing when uh, with the bill to for teachers back to work and other provinces are starting to use it and talk about it and danielle smith with the alberta sovereignty act is is effectively holding the notwithstanding clause as a hammer not that she needs to but i mean it's uh it's just more of a more of a stand up for yourself kind of kind of tool a lot of canadians are now saying well maybe we shouldn't have the notwithstanding clause to which i say um no, no, no. We uh, we we need that clause. What uh, say you?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think we need it. Um, I uh, Quebec uses it more than anybody. Um, they use it quite regularly. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I live in a province where I don't think it's. <laughs> I don't think it's ever been used, and it's be, we just have a government that just goes along with whatever the federal liberals say. Um, uh, yeah, the 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 NDP here just lackeys for the federal liberals. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's a measure of protection that a province needs, um, especially in the times we're in right now, where the federal government is really overstepping its, its uh, uh, you know, the, it's really overstepping what it's constitutionally allowed to do. Um, and the provinces are not standing up and saying, whoa, um, that's our jurisdiction, not yours. Uh, you have a handful of provinces that are standing up to the federal government but not enough and not the right ones either like you we need ontario and bc to start standing up and saying whoa guys like this is our jurisdiction you have no right to be uh dictating to us how this works um, and that's uh, so, I mean, you've got Alberta and Saskatchewan, the perpetual, you know, um, provinces in the West that, that are always saying, Hey, leave us alone. We're not, you know, you, you're, you're stepping into uh, provincial jurisdiction and they push back a lot those, but they do it all the time. And, uh, Quebec is the same way. Right. Um, Quebec is always telling the federal government to back off. This is our jurisdiction, not yours. And but the thing is, is that the two provinces that we really need to to join up and join and say, you know, and to push back against the federal government are the ones that never do. And that's Ontario and BC. And um, I mean, I think if BC starts standing up to the federal government, that'll get their attention. Because we never stand up to the federal government in BC, and uh, and if Ontario does it, it'll it, it'll really shake things up. And um, but Doug Ford needs to you know put his big boy pants on and do something about it. And uh, I mean, I can't, I I cannot expect the BC NDP to 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 stand up and say anything to the federal government. So I won't even hold my breath for them but but doug ford needs to stand up and say okay that's enough guys like he he heads up the most populous and uh province in the country and he needs to use that to his advantage and start telling the the federal government to uh take a step back but Yes. Uh, you know, getting back to your original question about the notwithstanding clause. Yes, we need it. We we absolutely need it. And this is this is like the Americans, uh, the uh, the Democrats trying to say that they need to get rid of the filibuster. Well, the Democrats have used the filibuster just as often as the Republicans have used it in the states. Like it's it's something that's there to protect that you use to protect, you know, the people, you know, you're you you're supposed to use it to protect your constituents from from overreaching legislation and or bad legislation and uh, and it's the same thing with the notwithstanding clause in Canada. I mean, the notwithstanding clause in Canada is not quite uh, as as uh, uh, as good as say the filibuster because the filibuster actually just kills a bill in its tracks um whereas here the notwithstanding clause just gives you i believe it's a two-year time frame to uh be exempt from the new law while you write your own provincial law that but it has to be accepted by i believe a judge that it addresses all the concerns that the federal uh law addresses um so it's yeah. it's not it's not a comprehensive, you know, um, way to kill bad legislation, but it insulates your province from that bad legislation while you either a fight the new legislation in court, uh, b wait for a new government to be elected, or c write your own legislation to replace it.
0: Yeah, and I believe the window is actually five years. And Saskatchewan recently invoked the notwithstanding clause over Catholic school funding, and it would be the second mm-hmm. time it's been used here in Saskatchewan. Okay. But uh, the, we did, we can take Comfort Canada for those of us who support the notwithstanding clause that any constitutional amendment in this country does still take a two-thirds majority of... Or, wait, it's um, it's got to be... Provinces—it's got to be at least six provinces comprising two-thirds of the population, as I think it is—to uh, to amend the constitution. Or it might even be a, a larger number of the provinces, but it's, it's almost impossible it, to amend the constitution. Let's put it that way.
1: It is, yeah, and it's—it's a it's majority of the provinces and a majority of the population, uh, like two-thirds of the population. So, it's—and and it's not one or the other; it's both. Um, okay. So it has to be you have to have at least six provinces and I believe two-thirds of the population. so it's it's both. like you have to you have to have both. Um, and that's one of the problems <laughs> with Canadian <laughs> with the Canadian Constitution. It, it is a good thing because it means that you know you can't just arbitrarily make changes to the Constitution. Unless but
0: Francois, let go
1: yeah but yeah but if you (laughs) but if you want oh i don't know say property rights or firearms rights implemented into the uh into the canadian constitution well you're just sol it's never going to happen because if you want to open up our constitution and have uh, an it in any way, you're gonna have other provinces going, well, if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna open up the constitution, then we want this. And Quebec is gonna jump in there with a laundry list longer than Santa's naughty or nice list. And, <laughs> and you'll never get anything done. Um, and that's why, you know the Meach Lake Accord failed. It's why you know Charlotte, you, you know all of these these attempts have failed at uh, uh, at making amendments to the Constitution. It's because nobody can agree on what needs to go in there.
0: Oh yeah, no, no, for sure you're right. So at least we can take comfort knowing that the notwithstanding clause is indeed here to stay. So. Yeah, that's so, all right. Let us talk about healthcare for the last uh, 20 minutes or so of our show. Uh, February 7th, that's the day that Justin Trudeau has said they will begin meetings with provincial premiers to talk about a new healthcare deal. So that's a bit of a deviation. Originally, he had said he was not going to talk to premiers until federal health minister Duclos and provincial health ministers had struck a deal. And that kind of fizzled and died. I'd say a month ago, and now Justin Trudeau said that, yep, we will meet and we'll talk about health care. And then he still said that they're going to reveal bilateral deals, which just means individual province and federal government coming to deals, much like they did to the child care agreement. So then I have to ask myself, why the hell are we even meeting on February 7th? What are we going to accomplish when you're not going to make a deal with premiers en masse?
1: Yeah, well,
0: um the
1: biggest problem with healthcare funding in this country is that it was it was uh, uh conceived as 50-50. It was 50% federal, 50% provincial funding. Uh under Jean Chrétien they decided that they would needed to balance the budget because the Reform Party was eating their lunch and uh so they decided well let's balance the budget and we'll do it by slashing healthcare funding and they slashed it to 17% federally and the provincial governments were responsible for 83% of the funding um so all they did was offload their expenses to the province um that's when provincial debts started getting crazy too. Um, it has slowly worked its way up to, I believe, twenty-two percent. <laughs> um, so the the federal government is now paying, I believe, around twenty-two percent or so, uh, twenty-two to twenty-five percent of of provincial or a federal funding on, on healthcare. And the issue that they're facing right now is that the, the federal government wants to attach all kinds of strings to the funding that if they increase funding, then it has to go to this and it has to go to that and it has to go to this and it has to go to that. Well, if you're going to, if you're not going to live up to your commitment of 50%, I don't think you have a say. And the problem is, is that the federal government is so arrogant, they believe that they have the final say, even though they're not the ones funding the program. I mean, they're they're funding a quarter of it. They're, they're only funding a quarter of it. And yet they feel that they get to call all the shots. Um, and this is where the provincial governments are saying, uh, no, because you're gonna take away our ability to innovate. And, healthcare delivery needs to innovate. And we need to learn from each other's jurisdiction what is working and what is not. <laughs> and believe me, as someone who lives in BC, we don't learn from anybody. Um, I mean, Saskatchewan is is attempting to do what Alberta had done at one point that, re, that worked. Uh, Alberta, I believe, is trying to go back to that model. Um, Ontario is going that direction as well, uh, with using private surgical clinics, and uh, and and there's really nothing wrong with that. Uh, everything that the federal health minister said was wrong with it is is stuff that our 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 uh, publicly funded and publicly delivered hospitals already do. <laughs> um, so there's there's really nothing wrong with doing what they said they're gonna do because these private surgical clinics are actually better at it. They're better at delivering healthcare than our hospitals. And they do it for less and they do it more efficiently. The patient has a better experience. You would be very hard pressed to find a single person that has used a private surgical clinic that did not have a uh, a good experience um they and so you've got three provinces anyway that have learned from past experience that this is a a method of delivery that works and it works very very well so they're going to use they want to use that but the federal government wants to stop that and why i don't know it's like well, i do know they they just want control over everything but but the thing is is that this is a um this is where you know if it if it was even applicable a notwithstanding clause would be great to use um but it, unfortunately, it's not applicable. <laughs> um, but but this is this is why the federal government cannot stick strings on these on these funding deals. They cannot put strings on these funding deals because it will stop innovation. And this country's medical system is broken. It is deteriorating, and it's going to completely implode on itself. And in the near future. It is not very far away from completely imploding. I mean, I live in a province where uh, where it, it, it's eight weeks to have cancer surgery, even if you know you have cancer. It's eight weeks to get cancer surgery. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many people out there have had loved ones with cancer. Eight weeks is enough time from the time you get diagnosed uh, for that person to die. Um, And it is eight weeks here. Um, We have ridiculous wait times here. And we don't have a government that is even trying to do anything about it. Um, And yet our neighbors are. And uh, and I mean that might be one of the reasons why. Well, I mean that and affordability are reasons why you're why we saw 28,000 people in BC move to Alberta in 2022. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and I mean it's 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 we ha- we have a government in BC that is firmly in this government knows best attitude and um and then we've we live right next door to a, a a province where they go no the public sector knows best or the private sector knows best and um and you see the stark contrast in in healthcare delivery between our two provinces alberta just puts bc to shame that way um well and, and that's possibly
0: and... why it is that there's going to be these bilateral deals because the uh... Obviously, the gov—I think the Trudeau government's going to going to hold off making a deal with Quebec as long as they can, and say, "Oh yeah, no strings attached because you're already doing whatever." And Danielle Smith in Alberta has said firmly that she wants no strings attached. She just wants the government to pony up their share. Now, some of the strings I've heard them uh, from the federal government—they want data collection to be harmonized, and. One of those things with with harmonizing of data collection includes a digital ID, which something Saskatchewan had already spoke up against. And Scott Moe said, um, actually, we're canceling our plans for digital ID in Saskatchewan. So if the federal government says this this is what our funding is contingent upon, well, game on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the federal government will win that one.
0: Um,
1: Although BC is firmly firmly in favour of that, uh, which is no surprise. Um, but, I mean, I think you'll see the other provinces kill that idea for uh, for the federal government.
0: Yeah, I certainly hope so. Now, um, we've only got a couple minutes to go here. Still on the healthcare front, I find it interesting that COVID vaccine reactions have actually now outpaced the number of COVID deaths in Canada which is stunning to me because COVID deaths, of course, as we've reported ad nauseum on this show, include people dying with COVID, not necessarily from COVID. But latest figures I saw now, we've got 53,000 vaccine reactions for the COVID vaccine, over 50,000 reported COVID deaths. And, well, I guess that explains why you see athletes just suddenly dropping right in the field of play or at the gym and why there's these this term of sudden adult death syndrome has come into play, which I had never heard of until about a year ago. And yep. all these uh, coincidental deaths and not even, not even deaths. I mean, you yourself know people who have been handicapped because of vaccines. So it's um, yeah. God damn. It's going to be interesting to see what, the, what happens going forward. Yeah.
1: And honestly, I hope we're wrong about this. I really do because I mean, just for our own sake, we hope we're wrong about this because we were both vaccinated. Um, And so I really, really hope I'm wrong about this, but it doesn't, it doesn't appear that we are. And um, hopefully, you know, it's been long enough since our shots (laughs) that this isn't something that's going to affect us. Um, But it it seems to be mainly affecting you know the like the sudden heart attacks that you're seeing seems to be mainly affecting uh people who've received boosters um so hopefully that means we're we're okay uh but but i mean and we the thing we know about the covid deaths is that they're over um substantially overreported because everybody that was counted as a covid death was Co- was a you know a death with covid not from covid so it could very well have been because of covid it could very well have been because of a motorcycle accident but the person tested positive for covid after they were entered into the hospital um and so covid deaths and this is a number that was that i heard from um trying to remember where i heard it or who said it um i can't remember right now but it was on a uh it was on oh geez i can't remember where i heard it (laughs) but it's (laughs) but but the number they say is that it's 70 percent overreported. wow the actual the actual covid deaths is only about 30 percent of the reported uh, deaths with covid um and then we know that the vaccine injuries are underreported um that is and that they say is as much as uh 90 unrepo- underreported because people people something happens and people don't put two and two together and so it just doesn't get reported or your doctor doesn't report it because he that doctor doesn't believe that it was because of the vaccine, but it very well could have been. Um, it is fair. Yeah. So, so vaccine injuries they say are 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 very very underreported, and the vet and the uh, COVID deaths are way overreported. So this number is actually much worse than you than the the official numbers that we see
0: yeah well i know that uh because of all the the heart attacks and and you know heart disease and whatnot and i'm no athlete but at the same time when i go to the gym and i go for a run i'm actually watching my heartbeat like a hawk now because i uh i don't want i don't want to get my heartbeat into the maximum range so i'm I'm actually much more aware of my heart rate than i've ever been at any time in my life so i uh I get over 150 it's like okay slow down slow down we don't want to be dropping off the treadmill here and yeah. uh, I can't be alone in that No no you're not at all
1: um it, it there's a uh there's a really great podcast that I want everybody that's listening to the show go and listen to and it's uh uh it, it's the Joe Rogan podcast but go and listen to the episode with Dr. Brett Weinstein um He actually goes through why it is that the vaccine is causing heart attacks and strokes in athletes, Um, specifically why it's happening in athletes. And it's because of the damage to the heart caused by the spike proteins, because the heart does not not repair itself. It's the one organ that does not repair itself. So it's getting scar tissue and that built up inside. Uh, and so this is it's a really, really great podcast for you to go and listen to. Uh, I believe it's from a couple of weeks ago. So you'll have to just go into the archive on uh, Spotify uh, for the Joe Rogan podcast and look for Brett Weinstein from a couple of weeks ago. And it's it's a fantastic episode. It really goes into depth uh, medically why this is happening. Uh, in particular, to athletes, especially like soccer players and marathoners, because they're the ones that this is happening to the most are the endurance athletes. Um, because soccer players run constantly for ninety minutes, uh, so their heart rate is up higher the whole time, and uh, and it's not happening so much in athletes where they have quick bursts of of uh, speed and then they get a rest like hockey players like uh basketball players um it's not happening to them but it is happening to soccer players and it is happening to like marathoners and triathletes and, and those kind of endurance athletes so that's brett weinstein on the joe rogan podcast from just a couple of weeks ago
0: all right and uh well actually since we we're talking about the joe rogan podcast i uh would also suggest watch out for jordan peterson they recorded uh the jordan peterson on the show on this past friday so i'm not sure when they will, will publish
1: it I'm guessing came out soon.
0: yeah it came out yesterday oh it did okay good so uh yeah i'll have to check that out so um yeah we'll wrap it up there canada not necessarily a sour note of uh, some good podcast recommendations so uh Little bit of an unusual end. I'm kind of uncomfortable to end it off on a, a not really negative <laughs> note. Well,
1: I, yeah, and I'm, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to end it on a sour note today um, because I do actually have a couple of other uh, podcast recommendations. Um, they, they're American, but they're, uh, they're really good. One is called Part of the Problem, uh, and it's hosted by a comedian, but he, Talks about American politics, and but he's a uh, he's a he's like a really uh, active member of the Libertarian Party in the U.S. Um, and uh, he's he's excellent. Um, he's he's very very well spoken. He's very knowledgeable, um, and it's it's just really good. It's a really good show to listen to because, as far as I'm concerned, it applies to here as well. It applies to Canada as well. Um, it's called "Part of the Problem," and uh, and I really recommend it. It's a great show. Um, and if the other ones that I I like to listen to are uh, uh, Tim Pool, uh, Tim Pool's another comedian, but he uh, but these guys are very knowledgeable and, uh, and everything about politics. Um, Tim Poole's great as well. And, uh, and part
0: of the problem, excellent podcast. Well, there we go. So if you've uh, got some more time to add some more podcasts to your day, there's a couple more shows to watch or listen to, I should say, after Canadian common sense, of course. Yeah, (laughs) of course. So uh, thank you for joining us, Canada. We will talk to you again next week. Until then, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony.